and thank you for joining us for another episode of Compliant with Alliant, bringing you insights into employee benefits compliance. I'm your host, Christine Blanco, and Diana Craig is here too. Hello, everyone. And we're kind of crabby because we just recorded this episode, and then we realized the sound was terrible. So we're doing it over, and we promise we'll be as funny as we were in that last time. Um, At any rate, this is the second in a Medicare series. We promised you three, so this is number two. Diana has been trying to boss me into doing um, all what she thought was the fun stuff first, but um, I'm wielding my power, and now we're doing secondary payer rules. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to the third one in the series, which is going to be a little bit more of a grab bag. We're going to tackle HSAs and all the really exciting stuff. I know. You guys cannot wait. But for now, we're going to plod through and talk about Medicare secondary payer rules. These are actually um, rules that are fairly important and impactful to most group health plans, especially if you have an aging population, if you have active employees who are eligible for your group health plan. So let's go with a little background. So what are we talking about when we talk about the Medicare secondary payer rules or the MSP rules? Essentially, they're there to protect the Medicare trust fund. So Congress passed legislation that basically makes sure that we're not tapping into those funds where there are other you know, private plans or other health insurance available. And they're designed to ensure that those entities, so health insurance or group health plans that are providing coverage, are paying primary. So who pays first? Um, so we're focusing on individuals or rather employees in our situation who have both Medicare and employer-sponsored coverage. And those group, those coordination of benefits rules, as we call them, will really depend on a couple of different things group size and also how it is you're entitled to Medicare. So, Diane, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, these are actually really important rules that keep employers from shifting risk uh, to Medicare. And I am someone who will bark those rules out. No, you can't do this and be mindful of this. And sometimes I forget to pull back um, and just sort of out of the gate say, wait a second, uh, employer size actually matters because most of those rules only apply to employers who are going to pay primary, and that's largely based on employer size. So the big one and the one we always sort of start out with is um, if you have Medicare based on your age, so age-based entitlement, uh, the Medicare secondary payer rules kick in at 20 or more employees. And there's a couple of other ways you can become entitled to Medicare. And just to keep us on our toes, those have different size thresholds. So if you have been receiving disability benefits from uh, Social Security for three years, you will become entitled to Medicare. And for employers, we need to know that entitlement based on disability, our employer, um, our Medicare secondary pay rules kick in at 100 or more employees. Now, last one is end-stage renal disease. And this one I always feel a little bit uh, wrong-footed with because the rules are just a little bit more amorphous. So if you have um, Medicare entitlement based on end-stage renal disease, the employer plan will pay primary for 30 months from the date of Medicare eligibility, regardless of employer size. And that's an interesting um, sort of um, triggering point because it's it's triggered from Medicare eligibility And Medicare eligibility for someone with uh, ESRD can actually vary a little bit. Like if you do certain um, self-dialysis certifications, you can accelerate that. So it's it's just one of those where the rules are a little bit different. Yeah, I think that, you know, given... 
those are very, very expensive services. So they just try and keep those folks on the private plan for a little while. Oh, mm -hmm. and last but not least, uh, those size thresholds apply on a controlled group basis. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. 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 Very good. Um, so for those those of you who want to listen to our controlled group podcast, it's available <laughs> too. Um, and as we noted, so many things in group benefits are determined on a controlled group basis. So, okay, well, great. Thanks for that. Let's talk a little bit about what the rules are that prevent employers from from um, pushing their folks onto Medicare to pay primary. So generally, plan sponsors you know, might consider their demographic, or they should consider their demographic when designing their plan. But you have to be very careful if you have an older and aging population, you have active employees who are Medicare eligible or entitled, it might sound like a great idea to help them access that coverage. There may be a lot of reasons why they don't want your plan and they want to stay, you know, they want to access Medicare. But you have to be careful um, about that. You cannot take, quote, take into account Medicare entitlement of a current employee or their spouse or family member. And that includes a lot of things. And there's this enumerated list of things, a lot, you know, most of which nobody is actually doing. Refusing to enroll somebody in Medicare, I don't, I don't, I can say, knock on wood, I haven't seen an employer not, you know, do that, but offering, you know, maybe charging a little bit more, or there's this sort of catch-all wrongfully inducing a Medicare-entitled individual to reject the employer's plan. That can cover all manner of sins, and so we need to be careful that we're, we're not doing that. Um, note that the penalties here are $5,000 per violation. Well, and like Chris mentioned, I mean, most of what we see are not employers with really nefarious purposes trying to just lock somebody out of the employer-sponsored plan. Sometimes it's something where they just want to maybe pay somebody's Part B uh, premiums or do some of those things. And, and that's actually prohibited under a rule against uh, employer incentives to lo load people off of your plan and onto Medicare. Mm -hmm. So again, not nefarious, but we just want to be mindful of those rules because those penalties are big. Yeah. And so before we move on from that, let's talk a little bit about cash and lieu. Oh, good idea. Yeah. So often we will see, and certainly we see this a fair amount in the public sector, is that a cash in lieu. So if you waive coverage on my plan, I'm going to pay you $100 a month or $50 a month or whatever the case may be. And is that a problem under the Medicare secondary payer rules? And historically, a cash and lieu plan that was uniformly offered and didn't target your Medicare eligible participants didn't really raise any issues. Um, and recent guidance, however, that was a little bit unsettling, CMS indicated maybe a potential shift on that issue. And we're just kind of watching for additional guidance. We see, like I said, a lot of public sector groups that have that. They also happen to have oftentimes an aging population and some Medicare entitled folks. And um, before we move on, remember what we're talking about is um, these rules apply to active employees. A retiree population is another ballgame altogether. And we're worried here about active employees who are eligible for the group health plan. Yeah. And primary payers. Primary payers. Yep. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how you might get in trouble here. Yeah, I think um, employers um, often wonder how uh, CMS seems to know everything about who has what coverage. And this comes up for me most commonly where I get a scanned uh, data match letter from CMS. Uh, and so that's kind of a shot across the bow where they're saying, hey, hey, look, we have this record indicating this person um, 
we paid primary here and shouldn't have, or our records are showing this person is covered as an active employee, but they're actually not an active employee. So they're going in for data. And what I will tell employers is that if you get something from CMS about uh, Medicare secondary uh, payer issues or coordination of benefit issues, you need to timely respond to that letter. And that might mean working with your TPA, working with your carrier partner. It might mean reaching back a few years into your records but you definitely need to timely respond. So if you do not timely respond or um, respond inadequately, the penalties are $1,000 per person. So um, again, you get these data match letters and then employers are left wondering, how does CMS seemingly know everything? Mm, And this is something where um, I think it either originated or expanded significantly uh, during my tenure doing benefits consulting. So in the early aughts or thereabouts. Um, Again with the aughts. Yes, your, your <laughs> phrase, you coined it. I have embraced going it. With it. So what happened then was uh, really an expansion of Medicare secondary payer reporting. So this is quarterly reporting done by required reporting entities or RREs. RREs. <laughs> it's like we didn't have enough acronyms. And there is some... Um, some fairly thick guidance out there on the CMS webpage about who reports what and how you report it. And and what I will tell you, if you are an an employer listening, is this is done almost exclusively by your insurance carrier or your TPA for your self-funded plan. So this is reporting that you're not necessarily actively involved in, but again, quarterly reports are going up to CMS from these RREs so that they know who has what coverage. And, you know, some of the blowback we get on this a little bit is um, this this MSP reporting will require employee social security numbers. And so they actually have a great form on their webpage that explains to employees, we are not out to steal your identity. We are required to report this for Medicare secondary payer purposes. Yeah, it's something that happens fairly, you know, it just happens behind the scene, and and it is how how those data match letters end up on your desk. And to Diana's point, that's nothing that you want to ignore. And so, um, again, I think um, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about primary payers. We're you know generally we're going to talk about active employees, and if you have a retiree population, then obviously you can design your plan differently. There are some plans that are designed, we call them paying as if your retiree population is enrolled in, in Medicare. Um, we see some some pain points and, you know, on those. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, you know, and first off, it always sort of, um, I don't know, makes me feel a bit odd to say, Medicare can pay secondary for your retiree plans because I'm so used to saying, you know, employer plan is primary. Here, employer plans can pay secondary for your retirees. Yes. But the thing that um, Chris brought up are these pay as if plans. And these come up for me every few years because you can design a plan for your retirees. And these are your post 65 retirees so that the plan only pays benefits as if it was paying um, secondary to Medicare. Yep. So, um, so if someone is eligible for Medicare but didn't enroll in Medicare, they are going to have a very unpleasant billing surprise. Yeah. And um, often it's it's an executive or someone where the employer you know cared deeply for this individual, and they just thought, I've got an employer retiree plan. I don't need to enroll in Medicare, and they they really find out the hard way. Right. And so I think it's not that. 
you can't necessarily design your retiree plan that way. It's that if you choose to do that, there needs to be a lot of education around that. Otherwise, your retirees are going to be fairly disadvantaged by balance billing on that. So that's just something to take a look at. Um, again, this has been our second installment of Medicare and Group Health Plans, Medicare Secondary Payer Rules. And we will uh, cover next time the grab bag. So I'm excited for the grab I bag. Know, I know. Wait with bated breath. Thanks, everybody.